Before we look into the word of God, let's bow our heads in prayer. Loving Father in heaven, all glory, all honor and praise be unto thee. Thou art the God that reigns from the heavens above, the creator of our vast universe that man will not even get to see an iota of, but you have made it so wonderfully. And you have made the crown of your creation, man. You've created mankind. And we are in a predicament where we have, are in a fallen race because of the sin of Adam. And we pray, Lord, that your word will not return to you void this day. Whether it's in the word this morning or through song or through this afternoon, through Brother Brian, we pray for him as well. And for the special numbers that will be sung. Pray that your blessing may be upon your people. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. With the Lord's help, I'd like to turn to the first letter to the, Thess- to the uh, Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Apostle Paul's letter to the Corinthians, chapter 2. And I, brethren, when I came to you, came not with excellency of speech, of wisdom, declaring unto you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in a demonstration of the spirit and of power. Your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Howbeit, we speak wisdom among them that are perfect, yet not the wisdom of this world, nor of the princes of this world that come to naught. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written... I have not seen nor ear heard, neither hath entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of man which is in him? Even so the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God, which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the spirit of God, for they are foolishness unto him, Neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. For he that is spiritual 
judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For he for who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him, but we have the mind of Christ. I've read the entire chapter. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. Let's kneel to pray. Dear Father in heaven, as we bow before thee this morning hour, we don't want to come of ourselves in our own wisdom as just men and women that are wrapped up in our own thoughts, our own wisdom. Dear Father, we've had a week where we've been surrounded by the wisdom of this world. We've had a week where we've either with commerce with others or in our own thoughts. We've had plenty of time to be with ourselves, dear Father, and we pray where this past week we have not availed ourselves of the wisdom of God, where we have not grown in that wisdom and knowledge. May it now be in this hour that we can be corrected, that we can receive what we need to receive, the, the, what the world cannot offer, something that is totally different than we experience in the world around us and our jobs and in the institutions in which we are a part of or participate in or whatever it may be, dear Father, that is not of thee. But here, this word, this preaching of the cross, this wisdom of Christ, dear Father, in, in our weakness and our fear and in trembling, we want to come before thee to lay hold upon it by faith and so experience what will be life-changing. We know this word is life-changing. Dear Father, we've experienced it. The evil one would like to deceive, it would like to tempt, it would like to make us doubt its power. But dear Father, if we're honest, we know it is true. Because we know that the author of it, the one who spoke all these words, the one who is the living word, he is the source of everything. He has made everything. Thou hast formed everything through Jesus Christ. All the best things that we experience, all those most precious things, he is the author of them. And it is the absence of God that is sinned and the wickedness, and the evil, and the pain that we see around us that is the result of the fall, we realize that is the absence. But dear Father, thou hast shown through the cross, through Jesus Christ, the triumph. How even suffering and pain and difficulty can be redeemed. This wisdom of the cross we want to understand. We want to believe, dear Father, we want to stake our lives on. Dear Lord, all those this morning hour that preach this word in fear and in trembling and in weakness, focusing on the, the simple power of the cross, the wisdom of God. Strengthen them, help them, meet their needs. Let them be effective in ministering the gospel to the hearers in this place and in every place. Dear Father, this world desperately needs it. We know, we've, we've experienced it ourselves, and we know there are people around us that desperately need to hear this word. Dear Father, we thank thee 
this morning hour. We give thee praise and honor for thy goodness. First and foremost, for the plan of salvation. Now that we can see, now that we can see the wisdom of God that was revealed, what the, the prophets and the kings and those that desired to look into and was hidden, we now see it, dear Father. We give thee thanks and praise and honor. Hallowed be thy name. Glory and honor be to thee. Dear Father, we thank thee for thy faithfulness to thy children, those that have walked many years with thee. We're mindful this morning hour of, of Sister Lena, and we thank thee for thy faithfulness to her. The cross was sufficient for her. The salvation in Jesus Christ is. We pray that she would continue as many more days as thou wouldst give her. There are many others, dear Father, we look at and we are inspired of by their walk, and not because of them, dear Father, but we realize because of thy faithfulness to them, and that is abundantly and clearly shown. Dear Father, we pray for the children. We pray and intercede in the face of great and increasing wickedness around and in society that is poisoning minds and corrupting and, and diluting and all the evil things that the wicked one does and the way he twists. Dear Father, our hearts are grieved. But we know that thou art more than sufficient for all these things. Greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. O oh Lord, we pray that the faith that thou hast given us through Jesus Christ would be sufficient for our children, that they would see it, they would believe it, and that they would be, in so doing, would be preserved. Dear Lord, help each one of us now in this good day of grace to exercise our faith, to be obedient in the little things and in the big things, in the small steps, day in and day out, so that at the appearing of Jesus Christ, our faith will have found to be an honor and a glory to thee. Lord, help us. We are weak. We feel this weakness many ways. And dear Father, we realize so often it is because we have taken our eyes off of thee. Dear Lord, we help, help us this morning hour to focus again on thee. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. We have before us a, a very applicable chapter to our lives that we live today. As we have also been visiting in the book of, to the Colossians, the letter to the Colossians in the weeks past, where the word wisdom has been brought up again and again and again, the context of this letter, at least at this point, is <clears throat> the report of divisions in the church of Corinth. There were divisions in the church. It said it's commonly reported among you, and I and it comes from the, or it comes reported from the the house of Chloe that there's divisions amongst you, and, and I partly believe it. In other words, he's, he's leaving room for error here, but I partly believe that there is divisions among you. Because there are some that say, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, the, the so-called uh, apostle to whom Christ gave the keys of the kingdom, if you will. 
Matthew 16. And then others saying, I'm of Jesus, you can't beat that. And Paul was looking at this scenario, this situation in the, in the church of Corinth, and they were acting very carnally when they were saying things like this and making divisions. So he had to go back to first principles. He, he went through and he started talking about where does true wisdom come from? You know, what makes these people so special? And he even said, you know, I'm, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of one of you, except for, was it Crispus and Gaius? I, I'm, I'm, I'm just a, a worker in the vineyard of God. He goes into chapter 3 of saying, and I'm, I'm a wise master builder that God gave me this commission to do, to build the, ch the church. <clears throat> and he starts off the, the letter in chapter 2 where he says, And I, brethren, when I came to you, I didn't come to you with excellency of speech or of wisdom declaring unto you the testimony of God. I didn't come with some articulate, prepared um, logic and rationale that comes out of my mind. I, didn't, I, I determined not to come to you with anything else but Christ and him crucified. It's a the simple story of the gospel. I, want, I came to you to, to declare to you Jesus Christ and him crucified. And my speech was not, and my, my preaching was not with enticing, luring words of man's wisdom, but in the demonstration of the spirit and of power. The demonstration of the spirit and of power. So immediately... Paul brings into, the Apostle Paul brings into the argument, the Holy Spirit of God. That's at the beginning of chapter 2. Towards the end of chapter 2, he says, well, it's, it's not the, it's toward the middle, but I'm going to read the whole thing to give context from verse 10. But God hath revealed them, all these marvelous things about his plan and, 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 and salvation. God hath revealed them unto us by his spirit. It wasn't by man's wisdom. It was by revelation. The revelation of God to his uh, children, to his followers, to the apostles, to the witnesses. For the spirit searches all things, the deep things of God. For what man knoweth the things of a man? Save the spirit of man which is in him. What? He, he immediately brings up, coming from the spirit of God to the spirit of man, he says, what, what, who knows what's inside a man? I think he has a similar uh, verbiage in, a, in another uh, epistle. Who knows what's inside a man except the spirit of the man that's in him? Even, even so, the things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God. So the things of God, the Spirit of God knows, but the things of a, what's inside a man's heart, the Spirit of man knows. There's a, a little clue as to 
how God works with mankind. Now we have received not the spirit of the world. It's another spirit. But the spirit which is of God that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God. Which things also we speak not with words which man's wisdom teacheth. We're not giving you man's philosophy, man's rationale, man's knowledge, man's uh, opinions. But that which the Holy Ghost teacheth comparing spiritual things with spiritual things. Verse 14. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. The natural man cannot receive the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged of no man. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, that he might instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. I've been somewhat engrossed in this whole topic of the spirit of man the soul of man and the body of man. It was two weeks ago, when was it, that we had the, the, the uh, children's choir here and I remember Sister Kezia saying, um, you know, that the soul is the seat of emotions. And the body, soul and spirit to us are quite a, a mystery of how they combine and how they are in man. And we can derive from Scripture some of that understanding, but a lot of it's a mystery. And Paul just makes factual statements here according to the Spirit of God, revealing to him what the truth is concerning the spirit of man and how he understands the things of God. If you go to the book of Romans, he says something very similar in chapter, chapter 8, in verse uh, 5, it says, For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh, but they that are after the Spirit the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded, here's that term again, is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So that they that are in the flesh cannot please God. There are various opinions as to what is the difference between the soul and the spirit? And let me include in their body, because we may get confused about that too. The most common understanding, to my knowledge of this, is that the, that the body is the physical self. 
the physical self, your, your bones, your blood, your muscles, your, your, all the, everything that comprises your body. Your, 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 Paul calls it the tabernacle, this earthly tabernacle. And one day that earthly tabernacle will perish. And the body of itself is not sinful. We have to understand that. The body of itself is not sinful. It's a shell. It's a tabernacle. It houses the soul. And for the believer, it houses the Holy Spirit of God. Keep that in mind. The body is that part of us that gives us our senses, our smell, our taste, our sight, our hearing. Missed one. Did I? There's five. There's five senses. And that's what our body senses. But the way you process it, it comes in the brain through the mind. It processes what these senses mean. It gives us meaning to the senses. Like in the, in the projects that I've been on, when you want to control a turbine or a reactor, it has to know where is that turbine or reactor. What's the temperature? What's the pressure? What's the speed? What's the vibration? And, and it reads in all these signals to know what is my state. Am I in a safe state? Am I in a good state? Or is there something going wrong? Is the vibration too much? Is the temperature too high? That comes into the central processing unit, the, the computer, the computers of the controllers. They take this information and then they perform actions based upon that state. Our body's no different. Our physical bodies. We have sensors, but our, our souls, if you will, are that part of us that analyze these senses. Our souls have intellect, they have feelings, they have passions, they know to some degree what is good and bad, and they have desires. You know, the hand doesn't do things by itself, right? When we have an appetite, we have this sense from our stomach that we need food. It's empty. So our brain says, go and do it. Our souls are part of that. It gives you, it gives you the actions that you need to perform. You have a will to do something. Lastly, the spirit of man is where the real problem is in our lives. The spirit of man is that what the Bible calls the inner man. The inner man. Not the natural man, not the carnal man, the inner man. Natural is flesh and bones and blood. Carnal is the appetites and the, and the passions and the will of the soul. But the inner man, the spirit of man, is what is believed, and there's evidences. That's why I want to show you from scriptures the, the evidences, the clues that it is a spirit of man that communicates with God. 
that knows or doesn't know based because of his fallen state, because of his, if you will, um, uh, corrupted spirit at the fall of Adam. It's the deep things of God that enable him to understand through the spirit, by the spirit of God speaking to our spirits, whether we are the sons of God or whether we are not the sons of God. Let me um, point you to a scripture with the Lord's help from Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's start reading um, from verse 15. Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. It is God that enables us, our spirits, to be enlightened with true wisdom, with true knowledge and understanding of his will and who we are before him. So it's our spirits that are being, if you will, for the believers that are being given this revelation, if you will, not the revelation that came directly from Christ, but through his word. Remember when Peter was asked, the, uh, well, the disciples were asked, who do men say that I am? Some say you're Elijah, some say you're that prophet. But Jesus turned to Peter and said, Simon, flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. It's the revelation from spirit to spirit that God has revealed to those that believe That Jesus Christ is the Son of God. That Jesus Christ was God in the flesh on this earth. And through what mechanism? Through what agency? Through the Holy Spirit himself. And that's what he said in, in, 1 Corinthians chapter, in 2 Corinthians uh, when he says that to the natural man, this mind cannot receive this. But only through the Spirit of God can he receive this knowledge, this understanding? That, that makes it very, in context of 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and 2, it, it, it makes it very clear that it is not because you are smart. 
It is not because you are wise according to men. It is not because you have learned more. It's not because you have studied more. It's because God has revealed this to you. And there's at a point in time that God will reveal it to you. But he, he in my understanding, he waits for the time when you're ready to receive it, the truth. He's offering it to you in his word. He's offering it to his... Remember Paul says in, in Romans chapter 7, In Romans chapter 7, this is the great struggle that the Apostle Paul had when he was struggling when he's talking about the carnal man, the, the flesh. In verse um, 9 and on, For I was alive without the law once, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the commandment which was ordained to life, I found to be unto death. For sin taking occasion by the commandment deceived me, and by it slew me. Wherefore, the law is holy, and the commandment holy, and just, and good. Was then that which was good made death unto me? God forbid. But sin that it might become a sin worketh death in me. By that which is good, that sin by the commandment might be extremely or become exceedingly sinful. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am carnal. He's not talking, I'm a human. That's part of it. He's flesh and blood. But he's talking about the soul. The soul that deciphers all this information, that analyzes its information in its own will, with its own understanding, with its own wisdom, which is, if you will, um, conditioned by this world and the philosophies of this world. And there was a resistance from the Apostle Paul to receive the truth when he saw the persecution of the, of, of the, of the um, uh, disciples of Christ when he heard about the resurrection story of Christ, he wouldn't take it. He wouldn't accept it. No, he, he, he's got to understand things from the perspective as he was taught as a, as a Pharisee under the feet of Gamaliel. But God brought him through so many things in his life. The final straw that broke the camel's back was when he was actually he met Jesus on the road to Damascus. When he was blinded by the light. And then finally, it wasn't the soul, it was the spirit of Paul that was, if you will, enlightened. The eyes of his mind being enlightened by the Holy Spirit. His spirit, he now received the spirit of adoption and not the spirit of bondage, which is from this world. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. When we're, when we're praying, when we're praying to the Father, when we're praying to God, when we are in difficulties, when we're going through tribulation and, and stress and, and all kinds of um, troubles and trials, 
He says, for we are saved, verse 24, for we are saved by hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For what a man seeth, why did he yet hope for? Remember the context here is he's telling you the story, he's telling us the, the, the account of all of creation, how it was made perfect by God, but it fell into corruption. It was made subject to vanity. And all of creation is moaning, is groaning. And he says, even though that happens, even though you're going through this trial and the, the, the fiery trial, you are being saved by hope. It's not a wishful thinking hope. It's a confident expectation that this too shall pass. It'll be over one day. But walking in the Spirit is not walking by sight, not walking by how you feel, how you see things, not reacting to the impulses that come towards you, but the inputs that come towards you, and you process it with your human mind. And I shouldn't say you, we all process it with our human minds at times. What goes in must come out, that's what the song says, they sang in Sunday school at camp. Input, output. What goes into our minds comes out, but depends what your CPU is, how healthy your CPU is, how he's, what kind of data he's been programmed to respond to. This is where Jesus Christ comes in, the Spirit of Christ. As mentioned that it is possible, and we believe in this, that the soul that we have, God says in 1 Thessalonians 5, Paul says that he prays that God will keep their body, their soul, and their spirit until the day of the Lord Jesus. Every one of them are important to God. Every single one of those parts of us are important to God. We just can't say, well, God doesn't care because flesh is flesh. He cares about us. He wants us to prosper, not just not financially. He wants us to prosper in the holistic sense. Our body, soul, and spirit. It's got nothing to do with money. It's got nothing to do with possessions. It's got to do with what we have in our hearts with God. The peace that this Holy Spirit gives us. The comfort that this Holy Spirit gives us. The hope that this Holy Spirit gives us. And we really don't need to start thinking this way. That yes, this is the flesh. That can be painful, but that shouldn't affect my spirit. It should not affect my spirit. It affects my soul, because I feel it. I rationalize it. But God has given us the spirit to govern the soul which governs the flesh. God has given us his Holy Spirit for the believer that he's able to, to teach our spirits, to, to change our spirits to believe that we have power and victory over the trials and the tribulations that we go through. And then the flesh is really immaterial. In the end, in the end. 
I'm just wondering what Job meant when he said, though worms eat my body, yet in my flesh shall I see God. I wonder what he meant by that. While he's living, perhaps, while I still live in the flesh, I see God. One day, worms will eat my body. But then Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he says that we have been given this tabernacle and we're one day going to cast off this tabernacle and he's going to clothe us with a new clothing, if you will, so we will not be found naked. But this earthly tabernacle will be cast off. It will rot. It of itself is not evil. That's what the early heretics used to say. Your flesh is evil. God just cares about the spirit. And some of them in reason said, because your flesh is evil, it doesn't matter what you do in the flesh, because it's just the flesh that's sinning, not you. That's not true. You are the one, I am the one, that tells my body what to do. It's my will. And it's not until my will is completely aligned with the will of God, through the Spirit of God. And how does it happen? By giving us a new spirit. Ezekiel says in chapter 36, I will put a new, a new spirit in them, and I will cause them to keep my laws and judgments. It can only happen once our spirits are made alive. You believe that? You believe that our, the spirits, our spirit, until the day we surrender and are born again to the Lord Jesus, through, through Jesus Christ's death on the cross and through the, through the power of his Holy Spirit, we are born again. Our spirits are dead. That's why he said the natural man doesn't react to the Spirit of God. Ephesians chapter 2. Verse 1. And you hath he quickened, you hath he made alive, who were dead in trespasses and sins, where in time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we had our conversation, our interaction, our conduct, filling the desires of the flesh, what my soul was longing for and craving for at that time, and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath as others. That's what Jesus meant when he says, a man cannot see the kingdom of God until he is born again. For those that are in the flesh cannot see the kingdom of God. It's impossible. Paul says that in Romans and in Corinthians. You cannot do that. There's only one way to connect with God. And that is through a quickened spirit. God does hear our prayer. It's not that he can't hear our prayer. But when we, our, 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 our souls react in a way that we go through the, the, the searching, you know, it says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. 
Faith is fed by what we read, and that's the Spirit of God. That's the Spirit of God coming through His words to us, where He changes the way we think, where He changes the way we... And when He makes us realize that we are, we are sinners. As Paul reckoned, we, as Paul acknowledged in Romans 7, finally, when he came to, to the desperation of his, of his struggle against the flesh, and he wanted to do good, but he couldn't, he finally said, oh, wicked man that I am, woe to me. Who shall deliver me from this body of death? It wasn't just his physical body. It was his carnal body. It was his soul that had these desires, these lusts, these because that soul was broken. And it's not until the spirit of man is made alive, he doesn't say just here, he says it in several places, that we are being quickened, made alive by the spirit of God that we can begin to understand the things of God. Now there is, obviously there's some interaction here, there's some overlap. That's a mystery of how that happens, that transition from the natural to the... But what he does say is what we need to know is you won't seek it out of intellectualism. You won't find it from your studies, from learning. You won't find it because you've done some good deeds for God. You'll only find it through the Spirit of God. That's why it's not a mechanical operation. It's a spiritual operation. Where God operates on our spirits. Where God undoes the fall of Adam and gives us a new spirit and plants it in us that he's now living in us and dwelling with us. Another way to look at this is when Jesus talked to the disciples in John chapter 14. He said, I must go. Because if I go, I will send you the comforter, the Holy Spirit. He is now with you. He was present with them. Why not? Jesus was there. But he shall be in you. And when he, the Spirit, shall come, he will reveal to you. He will convict the world of sin. He will convict the world of judgment. But it's still man's seeing that and responding where his spirit is mysteriously and supernaturally changed, not as a reward for what he's done, but as a, for his obedience to the truth that God said, if you do this, this will happen. If you accept the blood of my son, Jesus Christ, on the cross of Calvary, if you, if you believe that he was crucified, that he was buried, that he was resurrected from the dead, you shall be saved. There's a lot, there's a lot of mystery in this whole plan of salvation and how God worked it out. But there's one more, one more aspect of the spirit, if I can say. Like the, the body can, can sense things. The soul can process these things. 
and react according to his or her will. But the Holy Spirit is able to reveal, like we've heard, what we've read. The Holy Spirit is able to also convict our consciences, which are part of our spirits. Our conscience is a part of our spirit. And the conscience can be seared, and the conscience can be awakened. And how God does this, it's his doing, and it's marvelous in our eyes. You know, you read the, uh, some of you read the booklet, You Must Be Born Again. Was it Sumner that wrote that? And he talked about this awakening of the spirit of man. How the soul is awakened. With the spirit of a man, the soul is with it, awakened, because it's the spirit has power over our bodies, our souls, if we allow it to happen. We have to be subject to the Spirit. 1 Corinthians 14 says that the Spirit of man is subject to himself, to his will. But the Spirit of man, if it's obedient to the Spirit of God, will be subject to God. That's why it's, it, Paul had to bring up in 1 Corinthians 1, verses 21, I think it is. In 1 Corinthians 1, 21. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, the world by wisdom, by its wisdom did not go, know God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. There are some that say everybody's a sinner. The Calvinists will tell you everyone's a sinner and only God will choose the one that he wants to awake the spirit of. He'll only choose who he's going to wake the spirit of so then that he can believe. No. He will save those that do believe. Not save them first and then they believe. And there are many other scriptures that will tell you about that. This, the believing comes first. And it comes due by following the inputs, the impulses in this world, following, not the world, in what they read. There's all kinds of inputs. When you get to the truth, this is the truth. This is the manual on truth. When you read that, and then you're, you begin to think, oh, wow, I didn't think of it that way. Why do I always feel guilty? Why do I always feel down. Why do I, even when I'm having fun, I'm not having fun? Like I brought this up many times before. When my brothers were together in a pub, hotel, they said, what are we doing here? What are we doing here? 
Jesus said, you will know the truth. This is the truth. And the truth shall make you free through the Spirit. Because the Spirit is the one that gives us the wisdom and the understanding. He's the one that enlightens our eyes. But we have to follow his word. You know what? The word of God is the objective truth that he has given us as mankind to read and <clears throat> backcheck everything. There are many that will come to you and to us and say, oh, the Spirit told me to do this, and the Spirit told me to do that. Or say, what did the Bible told you to do? What did the Bible told you to do? So who do you think I'm going to believe? The Spirit told you to do this? Or if the Bible speaks com completely contrary to what you're saying, or different than what you're saying? I've got to double check that. And who do you think I'm going to believe? The Spirit told me. Did they? Or did he? But then he goes on and he says, verse 26 of chapter 1 of Corinthians, For you see your calling, brethren. Look what he says. There's not many wise men among you after this world. Not many intelligent men. Not many noble among you. Not many mighty that are called. Why? Because it's very hard to be a believer in Jesus Christ when you've got money, when you've got power, when you've got nobility, when you, you, there's too much for you to give up. This is the wisdom of man. That's too much for me to give up. It's, the cost is too high. But take that wisdom a little bit further. Take a, a 30,000 foot view of your situation. And look down the road. What's happening? What's going to happen down the road? Is that the wisest choice at this point in time? Like the example of, of, the, of the people on this boat. They're cruising and it's beautiful. And I brought this up before. They're, they're coming down the river. And it's a beautiful day. The birds are singing. The water's peacefully flowing. And everything's fine. And, and uh, all of a sudden, someone says, there's a hundred foot fall 200 feet from here. Are you still going to be feeling fine? Are you still going to be feeling, I've got lots of time? Are you think, still thinking, oh, the world is great? In, in, in 200 feet, I'll be falling off the edge. In 200 feet, I'll be damned. I'll be dis destroyed. I'll be killed. Is everything still fine? What we need to do, dear ones, outside of Christ, is to realize we have a spirit within us. And that spirit's being corrupted. And that spirit needs to listen to the spirit of God, needs to follow his word. You have the capacity in the sense that you know when Jesus said, seek, ask, knock, it will be open. He promises you it's going to happen. He didn't say how it's going to happen. He didn't say to Paul, you're going to go to Damascus and on the way to Damascus it's going to happen to you. It happened. It was in his plan, but he didn't tell that to Paul. Are we willing to take that chance, to take that risk, to say, oh, I'm smarter. You know what? I'm going to wait. I'm going to have some more fun. I'm going to have some more good times with my friends. I'm going to live my life and maybe, you know, two years before I die, I'll give it all to God. What kind of wisdom is that? 
What makes you think you're going to you live that long, number one? Number two, what makes you think that your heart will be ready at that time? It's not, remember, it's not a mechanical process. It's not something that you can just, at the drop of a hat, say, I'm going to do it. And even if you did, was your conversion genuine? Were you indeed, fact, in fact, born again by the Spirit of God? I pray that not just the unconverted, but we as believers will be aware that there are three parts of us. The body, the soul, and the spirit. And when we do things, are we listening to the soul? Or are we listening to the spirit? Because remember, the soul has got all these desires as well. But Paul says, what do you say in Romans chapter 8? Mortify the deeds of the flesh by the Spirit. Don't blame your flesh. Don't say, my hand did it. Mortify your carnal deeds which come from within you, within your mind, in your thoughts, in your desires, in your appetites. Mortify them by the Spirit of God. And that can only happen if your spirit is in subject to the Spirit of God. That your will is aligned with the will of God. My will. And as usual, I speak to myself first. To him be the glory evermore. Will the brother find a hymn, please? Brother, find a closing hymn, please. More than the body. That believe that all we are is just this body and the brain and what you can see and touch. And that when it is gone, the individual is gone. Then there's another good portion of the people in this world that do and can believe in a soul, and that man is unique and individual, and when uh, there is something special about them, that goes on. But an even smaller percentage of the people in this world believe, as, as we've been taught this morning, that there is also spirit, and that spirit determines the destiny of soul. The thing about spirit, which is not true of soul, but the thing about spirit is that it can be shared. You can receive another spirit. My friend outside of Christ, you already have the spirit of this world in you. You may ask, how did that happen? I didn't consciously receive anything, but it's just the same thing as mold growing. The spores are invisible. It's out there. The conditions, when they're right, just yesterday I turned over some boxes of tiles I had stored in the garage and all moldy on the bottom. They looked good from the top. The bottom was wet and the conditions were right. And fallen man, the conditions are right for the spirit of this world, the spirit that is not of Christ. And our innocent little children, as they grow, the conditions will be right, and the spirit of this world will manifest itself in them. So my friend outside of Christ, you are of the spirit of this world, and your soul is destined away from God. But you can, as we said, receive spirit, 
that scripture we read this morning about what, who knows what is in the mind of a man, what is inside man except the spirit of man that is in him? Well, the answer to that is when the man speaks and he shares what's in his spirit and what, what, what are, is of, in, of, in, of himself and inside of himself. That doesn't happen. It cannot happen except by word. And so spirit is received by word. By this word that you've heard this morning, this word in these pages, by word coupled with faith, spirit, the good spirit is received. That's our prayer this morning hour, is that you would receive the word of the cross of Jesus Christ that can change, that can make, can give you a new spirit. So that will change you, your destiny, where you're going. Your soul and your everlasting abode can be with God through Jesus Christ whose name we now commit you and conclude the service.